Доброго вечора, ми з України. Hello, we are from Ukraine. We are Ukraine FM team Radio National Resistance. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all Americans for listening to us. Here is our collaborator and your host and Levin. You are listening Ukraine 242. Доброго вечора, ми з України. Greetings. This is Anne Levine and I thank you for listening. Our interview today is with Anton Ptushkin. Anton is a well-known travel vlogger and television presenter. Think of him as Anthony Bourdain without the food. He is up to the minute on everything. And while he used to travel around the world to bring you stories, now he is traveling around his own country, Ukraine. His YouTube channel is Anton Somewhere. Anton, you initially were a travel vlogger. Yeah, correct. I started as a TV host on a very popular Ukrainian travel show, which was broadcasted in Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan, Belarus, and many other countries. So I was working there for quite a while, one and a half years, probably. And then I quit. I started to doing everything by my own. So I'm shooting, editing, scripting, talking to the camera, and so on and so on. So everything by my own. What happened to you on February 24th? Where were you? What was it like? I was in Kyiv. I woke up with the words, Anton, wake up. The war started. And that was probably the scariest words in my entire life. Then I went to my studio and uh, made like the first appeal to my Russian audience. I posted a video on Instagram and it gained something like 15 million users in a matter of days. And there was more than 60,000 comments on my main YouTube channel. I commonly speak Russian because I'm originally from the eastern part of Ukraine and I had pretty big Russian audience. My main YouTube channel has more than 5 million subscribers and half of them are from Russia. So that's why in the first day of war, I decided just to record some appeal to my Russian audience. And I was asking them just to try to stop this unprovoked and illegal war. And I felt pretty scared, you know. It was really unexpected for me. But since I read comments, I mean, 60,000 comments, of course, not all of them, but some comments, I realized that my attempts just to do something with my Russian audience, I understood that I will not change anything because, you know, all of those people were brainwashed. I recorded another appeal to my Russian audience and posted on YouTube. And actually, I got the same result. Yeah, so that was game changing for me. I made two attempts. After that, I decided just to make videos in English and address them to the Western audience. And I need to mention that I have the English channel, which is not so big as my primary channel, but still it has 400,000 subscribers. 
And I started just to cover some stories from Ukraine using my English channel and switched to English. Of course, you want to ask me why did I switch to the English audience? And I have an answer. You know, in that moment, I realized that mm, the Western audience really can change something. Because in Russia, even if I can convince someone in Russia, they wouldn't change anything because it's autocracy. And they will not even go to the, I don't know, to some protest or, or whatever, because they immediately will be put in jail. But Western audience can really change something because they watch my videos and then ask their elected officials to help Ukraine somehow. And that was my initial thought. I wanted to ask you, actually, since you had such a huge Russian audience, didn't you get banned from entering Russia? Yeah, yeah. Actually, half a year before this war, they made some kind of social research. And according to this research, I was among top five or top 10 most trusted bloggers by Russian audience. This audience was 18 years old to maybe 30 years old. So basically teenagers and just a young man. So I was one of the most trusted bloggers. But one and a half months after the war started, yeah, they banned me to enter Russia for 50 years. Of course, it was some kind of gesture because I, I don't visit Russia for... I don't know, three years, four years. And actually, you know, I was not the common visitor of Russia. I mean, I visited Russia because of this travel show. But yeah, and you know what? The most interesting thing that a lot of my friends from Ukraine, they um, congratulate me, you know, congratulate <laughs> me. Because if Russia banned you, it means that, okay, you doing something good. I mean, you're doing something right, at least. And I think they banned me because this appeal to my Russian audience where I named this war, war. And because of that, you can actually go to jail in Russia, at least for 15 days, at least. Because it's prohibited to just to name this war, war. It's okay mm. to say special military operation. And that's it. And yeah, I made actually a video about it on my YouTube channel. And I made a video also about the first six days of this war, which were, I don't know, probably the hardest time in my entire life. And it's uh, really hard to explain my emotions, but I put some emotions into this video, which is really short, but it's still, you know, it's still surrealistic for me. Everything what's happening here in Ukraine, it's surrealistic. Can you tell me a little bit about the documentary you're making? Uh, I can't call these documentaries because, you know, we have war and I think it's pretty hard to make a proper documentary during war, especially here we have air raids like at least once a day. These days it's once a day, but two, three weeks ago we had dozens of these air raids and there was still possibility the missile strikes in Kiev. And I mean, it's really hard condition and it's hard just to concentrate and create some documentaries. But I'm doing my best just to cover some basic stories about like Kiev, about volunteers, about my life in particular, because for me, the good thing is just to make the personal stories, which is really mm, the stories is uh, understandable for people. And because of my example, I don't know, ordinary man in Oklahoma or I don't know, Nebraska, he can pretend what it feels like to be in the country during the war in the 21st century. And 
It's a very complex story, and of course, it cannot be told with only one video. But I'm trying to cover different stories. And now I'm working on a video about Ukrainian railroads. I mean, these guys are heroes because probably every day Russia is trying to bomb railway tracks and electric substations in order to stop the support from Europe and from United States. And these guys repair these tracks because now railroad for Ukraine is crucial. It's vital. And uh, it's just a one story, just one story. And we have millions of this story. Actually, every Ukrainian right now has his own story. And this is incredible. I mean, this is a sad, sad reason because we have war. But still, there is so much is going on right now in Ukraine. How are the railway tracks being maintained? Just after the shelling, they repair these infrastructure things in a matter of hours. Wow. Because before the war, it would be days or months. Now it's everything done in hours because, you know, it's uh, it's crucial for Ukraine to get those supplies. So we have a no-fly zone above Ukraine yes. and our seaports blocked. Our highways are partially blocked as well because of bridges destroyed or, I don't know, some blog posts and so on. So the only 100% operating way is the railroads. Would you say, to the best of your knowledge, that those five big missile strikes that hit railways three or four weeks ago, they're repaired? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, I follow the team of uh, Ukrazaliznitsia, and we were in the city of Dnipro, and uh, we passed some bridge in order to get to the city, and we were in the center of the city, and we heard the missile strike. It was pretty, pretty damn close, and it was so loud, and it was really scary. And eventually we found out that this missile strike was around 500 meters from us, and the missile hit the exact same bridge that we passed 15 minutes ago. Can you imagine that? So this episode is going to be in my upcoming movie about these Ukrainian railways. How are you personally handling this? You must have like everyone, an incredible amount of stress, trauma. How are you managing? What's keeping you going? Uh, of course, a lot of people and me personally have PTSD, this post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. because of these explosions, because this rocket attack. You know, I heard like rocket attacks a few times and it was pretty close. And since that, you know, you begin to just mm, feel scared you begin to to become scary after every loud noise. It can be a motorbike or loud car or something. But I think the main secret is just to do something, to keep you alive mentally, to do something. Because without that, you can really, I mean, literally, you can lose your mind. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I'm doing, I'm just shooting and editing. Uh, it helps me keep myself in shape, you know, yes. mentally, of course, mentally. But yeah, after the war, we will have a lot of people with post-traumatic stress disorder. And yeah, this is, uh, this is another issue of the war, you know. You can be physically okay, but mentally you can be not okay. And that can certainly be something that could last for the rest of someone's life. Yeah. I'm sure yeah, it will. Indeed. I wanted to ask you about Chernihiv and if you've been back there. <sighs> Yeah, you know, I was in Kyiv region, I was in Chernigiv, 
probably I was in five or six Ukrainian cities. And Chernigiv itself, this is the city pretty close to the Russian border. So it was attacked and the, the whole suburbs of Chernigiv was attacked by Russians. I mean, the most incredible not incredible, but I mean, the most sad story I've seen in Chernigiv region was some village called Yagidne. And it was occupied by Russians for 25 days. And the whole population of this tiny village, which is 300 plus people, were staying in some basement of school. It's tiny basement and there was 300 people and that was a nightmare. I was in that basement and 11 people died because it was too warm. It was elderly people, 70 plus years old, and they were put in, uh, put in, uh, sorry, uh, did I say Putin? Oh, no, no, my God. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, they wrote the names of these dead persons, the date where this person died in order to just to keep some data just to, to memorize these things because they don't have cell phones they don't have anything and i mean when i saw this it was devastating and it's just one village you know bucha irpin and many other cities that probably are well known right now they have a lot of such stories a lot of such, such stories and this is actually a dark page of ukrainian history I know someone whose family was in that shelter just there outside Chernihiv and what she went through to get them out. And uh, wow. And she is now part of the Potato Army, which is something you've talked about. Everyone's pitching in. Yeah, we have 40 million volunteers because right now in Ukraine, everybody do something. Everybody help country somehow. And someone just peeling potatoes and someone fighting for Ukrainian territories on the east of Ukraine right now. So mm, the fighting still goes on. And uh, yeah, but we have to be brave. And, uh, you know, some of my friends, they are from Creative Agency and they creative description of Ukraine, which is bravery. And this is one of the hardest sides of Ukrainian soul. Those people are brave really brave and this is what we can be proud of you just heard marco helenovich from the band daka braka saying we are ukraine you are listening to ukraine 242 where key people in ukraine bring you stories about life under the russian invasion i am your host Anne levine our guest today on Ukraine 242 is Anton Ptushkin, well-known Ukrainian vlogger and television presenter. Since the Russian invasion, Anton produces YouTube videos in English, documenting life in Ukraine in war. To watch Anton's extraordinary videos, go to his YouTube channel, Anton Somewhere. Obviously, these are horrendous times and horrendous circumstances. However, you definitely have a lighter touch when you address all the topics pertaining to the war more conversational, which makes it very consumable, especially for a Western audience. One of the things I saw you write about that made me laugh 
is the tear only fans. <laughs> yeah. How yeah, did that get started? This is the project that some volunteers started. And as you understand from the name of this project, it's like kind of like OnlyFans, which is that website uh, with subscriptions when you get nude photos. And it's pretty much the same system, but they don't have subscriptions. So you just donate some money to Ukrainian army. And then you send to the list of the girls a receipt of this transaction. And you get your photos. I mean, this, this is crazy idea. But these girls already raised 20 million hryvnias, which is, I believe, it's like $600,000. It's amazing. It's amazing, yeah. And you know, and it's uh, all about volunteer movement here in Ukraine. And it also made a video about the volunteers. I mean, this is a strong suit of Ukraine because we have so many volunteers here in Ukraine and they buy drones and they make bulletproof vests. They buy cars, which are really important for the, for the army right now. A lot of them were like cooking on the kitchen. And so it's a very, very strong movement and they help Ukraine in general. It's amazing. No one is taking any money for themselves. Every single person is a volunteer. And I want to thank the people of the United States because they help Ukraine a lot, a lot. And not only the government, but the ordinary people also donating money. And this is amazing. Well, I've got to ask you about the most famous Ukrainian in some ways right now. And that is, of course, uh, Patron. Uh Patron is a star, yeah. Probably alongside with uh, President Zelensky and maybe, <laughs> I don't know, some other politicians. Yeah, Patron is a dog. The Jack Russell Terrier, he became a superstar because of his job. Because Patron is a bomb-sniffing dog. He helps to do this demining process. And when Patron, with his, his tiny body, steps on a mine, the mine not detonate. Oh. Because it's too, yeah, I mean, the weight is too small, yeah. It's so small and weights only four kilo or so that the landmines are not affect the patron. So the but yeah, he can locate like the, it. Of course, his nose is very very very. I mean, his sniffing abilities is pretty strong. That's incredible. And he is a part of bomb squad in Chernigiv. Very brave people. I also did an episode about Patron. And the videos with Patron, they got viral. Probably because of this dog, because he's too funny, it's too small. Didn't the president give him an award? Yeah. So Patron was awarded by President Zelensky. Uh, Patron and his owner, uh -huh. Mikhailo, the chief of this bomb squad. And Patron barked at Justin Trudeau. <laughs> And, You're kidding. And, you know, I don't want to say anything bad about Canada because I love <laughs> Canada. I was there. But a lot of Canadians, they commented in the comment section that, okay, now I see that Patron is really good dog because he barked Justin Trudeau. <laughs> he can sniff something, something wrong. Oh, my gosh. You know, two years ago, President Zelensky awarded me with the award. I was awarded with the award of honored journalist of Ukraine. Have you shown that in a video? No, 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 no. I'm too shy for that. And I think that I'm not a proper journalist. I'm just a YouTuber who covers some stories. But maybe because, you know, I used to work on a TV and my video quality is maybe just a bit higher than the average on YouTube. So that's why they decided to award me. But I consider myself as a YouTuber, not the journalist. I would say at this point, 
that what you're doing now is journalism. That's my opinion. Getting information so out, that's that's incredibly important. Thank you, you so much. I don't a, deserve that. What's Kiev like now? Is it coming back a little bit? In the beginning, I know it was a ghost town, pretty much. But what's it like now? Kiev actually never was a ghost town because I'm very keen about ghost towns. I've been to Pripyat, I've been to Fukushima, I've been to some other ghost towns where you can find any anyone. But Kiev, yeah, I mean, the population decreased dramatically and there was still like empty streets in the beginning of March. But now, yeah, city is still alive, completely alive, like a lot of cars, a lot of people. The population of Kiev is about 4 million, and I believe that we have um, 2.5 million or maybe 2 million right now. So it's like a half a population. Of course, it's not such heavy traffic as it was before, but it's still, it's the city is, I can say that it's pretty crowded right now. Bona and Edge, they had a concert in Kiev metro station, mm-hmm. in the central metro station called Krishadik. They have a special program called Iron Diplomacy. They bring all celebrities. And so, yeah, they brought Bona and Edge to Ukraine. And so they played acoustic concert, 40 minutes or so. That was very great sign of support. And yeah, it is uh, significant for Ukraine. They are cool persons. And of course, every person who come to Ukraine, this supports people because it means that Ukraine is not alone in this fight. And again, this is really important for people in Ukraine just to feel that support. Bono and the edge in the subway. That's great. And Tom Ptushkin. What does it cost right now for a liter of gasoline? It's interesting question, and I also made a video about it because we have crazy lines to the gas stations because we have a shortage of gasoline because Russians constantly bombing our oil storages, and so we we've been forced to import all gasoline from Europe. But still, I can say that it's less than two dollars. I think probably one point seven or something for the liter, not for the gallon for the right. liter of gasoline. I think the price almost two times higher than it was before the war. So, of course, it's like a huge impact on on the people. But because of this shortage, three weeks ago, you literally was not able to find gasoline. And that was a problem. And that was pretty scary. Aren't there these private delivery services? Yeah, that's funny story because half a year ago, me and my friend Misha, we had shooting in Lebanon. And they have a huge fuel crisis and they had some interesting thing called gasoline dealers because they don't have gasoline at all. Uh So you can call some guy and he can bring you a canister with gasoline two or three or four times higher than it, it would be on a regular gas station. And we were laughing about this situation because I have never seen such situation, you know, and Mm -hmm. uh, After six months, we have the same situation in Kiev. So, yeah, we have such internet marketplaces where you can find the contacts of these gasoline dealers and you can call this guy and he bring you a canister of gasoline, which is pretty convenient, actually. But still, (laughs) I mean, this is, uh, yeah, this is, it's funny. It's incredible. It's also, you may know this, it's still about half the price 
of a liter of gasoline here now. We're, really? Uh, oh, yeah. It's going up, 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 up. Speaking about American cars, you have the big cars with the enormous fuel consumption. So, you know what? I bought another car on a diesel. So, I have this tiny car called Smart. You know the Smart car? Yeah. Like a half size of the regular car. Yeah. With a pretty decent fuel consumption. But because uh, sometimes we don't have gasoline, but we have diesel, it means that you have to have another car on another fuel. So I bought the diesel car, but the pretty nice solution is just to buy an electric car. And you know, this is the actually electric car era owners because they are prosperous right now. You know, they yes. don't stand on, on these lines. yet just like recharging at their homes and it's perfect. One last question before I let you go reluctantly. What's going on, do you know, with seniors? I don't hear very much about seniors who have particular problems, and I know a lot of them haven't been able to leave the country. How are they coping? Yeah, you know, in some regions, it's hard for elderly people just to get a food because a lot of regions can be without electricity, like the city of Mykolaiv, which don't have water. I mean, probably for 40 days at all because some water pipes was destroyed. Wow. And yeah, there are a lot of elderly people who are staying in these partially destroyed villages. And I've seen a lot of these people in Kyiv region in these partially destroyed villages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where volunteers help. A lot of volunteers deliver food to elderly people. And here in Kyiv region, they have been supported by volunteers, by government. So here, the situation, I would say, is decent. But in Donbass, the situation is horrible because we have a lot of Ukrainian villages in Donbass. Yeah, completely horrible. And um, yeah, this is another tragedy because, you know, some of these elderly people remember the Second World War. And it's really strange for them. Then they were fighting against Nazi Germany as a part of Soviet Union army alongside the Russians. And now they have to fight against Russians. This is something completely unacceptable and surrealistic for them. I really doubt that people deserve such such dark times in the end of their lives. Yeah, this is a really hard thing. But this is the war. This is the war, guys. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking this time. I find your channel really the most practically instructive about the day-to-day -day compared to any news you give your personal self to it thank you so much <laughs> so thank you thank you for having me thank you so much for sure you have been listening to ukraine 242 today we heard an interview with anton tushkin travel vlogger and television presenter traveling around his own country, Ukraine. Go to Anton Somewhere, his YouTube channel, and take a look at everything he does. I'm your host, Anne Levine, and the creator of Ukraine 242, in collaboration with WOMR Radio, Pacifica Network, and Krena FM, a 26-city radio network in Ukraine. 
Editing and production is provided by Ursula Rudenberg at Pacifica Network. Recordings are done by Michael Levine. Interviews are arranged by Roman Davidov of Krena FM in Ukraine. The music you heard was by Without Limits. If you'd like to send a message to the Ukrainian people, please call 510-883-3115. Again, that's 510-883-3115. Your message will be translated and broadcast to 26 cities across Ukraine. More information is available about us at ukraine242.com. Until next time, we thank you for listening.